The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. You're listening to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. Now, here's your host, Faraz Sadiqi and Zach Rizzuto. A big piece of news. DeAndre Hopkins is signing with the Titans on a two-year, $26 million deal. He decided to take the bag rather than chase championships. Um, I saw a tweet that said, um, you know, I, I, I wish I remember who said it, but the tweet said that he took the guaranteed money rather than the championship that is not guaranteed, right? And, yeah. and, and I get that, right? Even if he does join the Chiefs or the Bills, you know, what's the probability that they win it, right? It's not like more than 50%, right? It's yeah. You never know what's going to happen, right? Um, but it does suck from a fantasy point of view because the Titans are an extremely run-heavy team. You know, I'm not sure having Hopkins will change that a whole lot. Uh, in the four years that Mike Vrabel has been head coach, the Titans have been 31st, 31st, 30th, 25th, and 30th in pass attempts. Um, and it's interesting because they have an OC, Tim Kelly. He's someone who has worked under Bill O'Brien in multiple locations, right? And, uh, you know, Penn State, uh, the Texans as well, under Bill O'Brien as their OC. And, you know, for me, like, I would have been happy if Hopkins went over to the Patriots with Bill O'Brien as the OC there because he's been peppered with targets, you know, which with whatever quarterback Bill O'Brien had. Um, and there were a lot of crappy ones. Um, But I think that's a moot point either way because this is going to be a run-heavy offense in Tennessee. And I I don't think we get anywhere close to, like, the 150 or 160 targets a year we've been used to with DeAndre Hopkins. And I think – we're probably looking at around 130 targets max, right? In, in 2020 mm-hmm. and 2021, A.J. Brown missed a few games, but he was on pace between 120 and 130 targets, right? And that's a young A.J. Brown, right? Not a 31-year-old DeAndre Hopkins. So I, I moved Hopkins down a bit to a borderline wide receiver, too. Uh, you can check my full rankings at patreon.com slash fantasy. By the way, if you want to take a look at that, Dynasty rankings as well, Superflex, redraft all of it uh the link is in the description of this episode but what are your thoughts man what are your thoughts about this hopkins signing are you disappointed that he didn't land anywhere else um are you a little bit more optimistic than i am no i'm extremely disappointed i talked about this i think on the last episode where i said tennessee would be the absolute worst place for him to go because it's going to cause the most shock waves in the fantasy landscape and that's exactly what he did you know like you said he signed for the money completely understand at this point in his career I think if anybody's going to buck the trend of Titans wide receivers going to die, you know that's where they go to die, the Titans being where wide receivers go to die, I think DeAndre Hopkins can do that. But I'm still not super optimistic. 
not any more optimistic than you are. I think borderline wide receiver two feels like a good spot for Hopkins. And I don't think that his ceiling is really any higher, especially with a regressing Ryan Tannehill, a quarterback, an offensive scheme that's still going to run the ball. It's going to be run heavy. So this is the same system that shriveled up Julio Jones, you know, just two years ago in 2021. And Julio, he averaged just four targets a game that year. That was working alongside A.J. Brown. Now, obviously, Traylon Burks isn't A.J. Brown. Hopkins enters Tennessee with a little bit more juice than Jones had, and that's being nice. He has a lot more juice. He's still a good receiver. And Hopkins is going to be the wide receiver one, where Jones was wide receiver two. So it's not apples to apples here, but it's worth mentioning. Not even A.J. Brown in that season 2021, where Julio had four catches, four targets a game. Not even A.J. Brown was immune to subpar QB play. He logged the eighth worst catch percentage in the NFL among 33 wide receivers with 100 or more targets in 2021. Hopkins is still a really good receiver, but I think that it's still fair to project a similar inconsistency for Hopkins this season in 2023, given the factors working against him. You know, he might have a few wide receiver one weeks in him, but I think he's going to be perpetually weekly wide receiver two on the low end with peaks that really aren't that high and valleys that are painfully low. And that's going to come on the heels of Ryan Tannehill. I don't think it's going to be his fault all the time, DeAndre Hopkins' fault, that he has these low finishes, but it's the reality of the situation. And that's what we have to work with when we look at what to realistically expect from him this season. Yeah, yeah. And I think Traylon Burks gets hit, you know, pretty pretty badly. You know, Traylon Burks yeah. going into this season, you know, was a volume-based wide receiver three with some upside because if he did see, end up seeing 120, 130 targets, you know, that's a very fantasy-relevant player right there. And if yep. he did a lot with those targets, if he was efficient with them, then we could have potentially seen him at maybe a low end wide receiver too. But now that Hopkins is there, you know, I, if I was the quarterback, I would be targeting Hopkins on like twenty eight percent. You know, uh, a very high target share, right? That's that's pushing, what I'm assuming. Just pushing Hopkins that number there. out there, twenty eight percent. Ryan Tannehill, maybe exactly twenty eight twenty eight point two percent. That's what I have DeAndre Hopkins slated for this year. And 28% on a low-volume passing offense might still be okay, but it's not the high-end volume that he's been used to over his career. Um, I'm not super down on Chico Conquo. And the reason why is because Traylon Burks was that volume-based guy, right? Like, whenever you mention Traylon Burks going into the season, the volume's going to be there. The volume's going to be there. No one is saying... This dude is super talented. We got to get him the ball. Like maybe we were saying that as he was coming into the NFL, but he's still a little unproven, right? And there were yeah. a lot of question marks with him coming into the draft, even, right? So now going into this season, Chigo Conquo, number one in yards per route run last year, number one in yards, uh, number one in number one in targets per route run among the tight end position. Um, you know, this is a situation where we could see a serious talent emerge here. Right. And if that's the case, then I'm not super low on Chico Conquo's ADP. And there's a there's a chance that his ADP falls a little bit because of this signing. And if it does, I personally will be buying the dip. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that 100 percent with Chico Conquo. The thing that does it for me, you know, I'm not too low on him either is because he's a tight end and this is a run heavy offense. So if they run a set where there's one wide, one wide receiver on the field, I mean, that wide receiver is going to be DeAndre Hopkins. And they're going to have Chico Conquo in line on the offensive line. You know, if that's the way they want to run it, he'll be on the field regardless. Run snaps or pass snaps. Traylon Burks is not so much a guarantee to be on the field anymore. It has to be, you know, maybe 
a heavier wide receiver set. He's going to be the wide receiver too, obviously. But if there's ever one, one wide receiver set, Chigga Conquo is going to be on the field when Traylon Burks isn't. So Chigga Conquo is going to get the snaps. He's going to be on the field. He's going to be the one that has the opportunity. And he has the talent he showed us last year to match. You know, he just didn't have a whole lot of volume coming his way. I think he's still going to be viable. Like, is his ceiling as high anymore? No, I think his ceiling did come down with DeAndre Hopkins, you know, coming to Tennessee. But I don't think that his floor is really hurt too bad. You know, just the way the tight end position is, he's a really good talent. I think he's still liable to finish inside the top 12. I don't think this bumps him out of that conversation. It's just not, you know, the range of outcomes is spread out just a little bit more. Chico Conquo, 32% route participation last year. That's extremely low. And if that yeah. gets bumped up to 75%, 80% without Austin Hooper there, somebody who 26% targets per route run, 2.61 yards per route run, both number one in the NFL last year among tight ends. I'm looking at fantasy life data right now. That's legit, yeah. man. And I'm willing to bet that Chico Conquo outperforms his ADP next year. 100%. All right. We got some more news. Evan Ingram got the bag. Three years, $41 million, $24 million guarantee. This is not something that I saw coming. I have to be honest. Like, I thought they were going to see, you know, if last year was a little bit of a flash in the pan, you know, with him playing on the tag. You know, I wasn't sure they were going to commit, but they did. They honestly, you know, surprised me with this. And this makes me a little bit higher on Ingram. You know, this means they believe in him, and it means he's a much bigger part of their plans than I thought. My concern, though, with Ingram this year is with Calvin Ridley coming in. You know, how much does he get hurt by that, right? Like, you got Ridley, you got Christian Kirk. I think they eat first in this passing offense. And even with the three double-digit target games that Ingram had, he only averaged 5.8 targets per game, while Kirk averaged 7.8. And with Ridley there... I think that opens up Kirk even more. Like, is there room for another receiver to be fantasy relevant? Like, maybe. maybe. But does Zay Jones just disappear? <laughs> like, he's going to be on the field, right? They ran three wide receivers set 65 of the time last year. They're going to do it more this year with Ridley there. So, if, now, if the Jaguars' offense takes a step, a huge step forward, you know, then maybe we can see Ingram return value. But as of right now, like, I'm not super interested, you know, especially considering that he's not, like, you know, super cheap by any means. You know, he doesn't have top five upside. I don't think he does. And maybe right. his price ends up going up just a little bit because the Jaguars show that they're committing to him. All right. Yeah. So I'm like good for Evan Ingram. He signed this deal. Good for him. He got the money. I think he's a good tight end. But for fantasy, I mean, you take out that huge game against Tennessee where he put up 39 PPR points last year. And his yeah. per game average falls from 10.4, which is what it shows on all the websites, and it goes down to 8.6. So that would have tied with Greg Dulcich for 18th in the NFL. And it's not that I want to hold that great performance against him. Like, he had it. Good for him. He did what he had to do in that game. He had a big game. But it's important to look at the whole season last year when we're projecting for 2023. And without that monster performance, Angram eclipsed the 12 PPR point threshold just five times. And obviously, in the tight end landscape, that's not that bad. But he never scored more than 18 points in a game. And in the nine games where he was targeted at least six times, he finished as a top 12 tight end eight times. Now, that sounds pretty good. But 
in the eight games where he earned less than six targets. That six targets is like the magic number. When he earns less than six targets, he never finished inside the top 20. You know, he finished as a tight end too, just once. So what does that tell you? It means that he is extremely, extremely vulnerable to target fluctuations. And I went back and I looked to see if there was any like correlation between Evan Ingram getting targets and Christian Kirk getting targets. And there's correlation 100%. I mean, just listen to some of these totals. Week one, Evan Ingram had four targets. Kirk had 12. Week three, Ingram had three targets. Kirk had nine. Week four, Ingram had one target. Kirk had nine. Week nine, Ingram had two targets. Kirk had nine. Week 10, Ingram had four targets. Kirk had 12. Week 12, Ingram had one target. Kirk had nine. And it's not just those games where Ingram was heavily targeted that, you know, it wasn't like he was the one getting all the targets and Kirk wasn't getting any. Like, if you look at the targets per game, the games where Evan Ingram got his targets, Christian Kirk was still getting his, too. In week two, Ingram had eight targets. Kirk had six. Week six, Ingram had six targets. Kirk had five. Week seven, Ingram had seven targets. Kirk had ten. He actually out-targeted him there. Week eight, Ingram had six targets. Kirk had seven. Week 14, that big game against Tennessee, Ingram had 15 targets, but Kirk also had seven. Week 15, both of them had 10 targets apiece. So it looks like Ingram is kind of vulnerable to this disappearing act. He does this when Christian Kirk has a big game. If that disappearing act for Ingram was happening with Christian Kirk and Zay Jones competing for targets, imagine a fluctuation with Calvin Ridley when he's heavily integrated in the offense. Like There's way too much instability for me to trust him right now especially at his tight end eight price off the board. I think it's pretty darn high. And it's good for him that he got this extension. It might help his dynasty prospects a little bit. You know, maybe if this Calvin Ridley thing doesn't pan out, but I'm assuming Calvin Ridley is going to play very well. And Ingram, at his price, you can see that he's just kind of like, when he gets his targets, he does his thing, but he doesn't, you know, like continue. He doesn't de demonstrate enough dependability on a week-to-week -week basis. He's very bipolar in terms of his production. He had the same amount of top 10 weeks and outside the top 20 weeks as Tyler Higby last year. Eight weeks yeah. outside the top 20. No top tight end had as many weeks outside the top uh, top outside the top 20 than Everett Ingram did outside of Tyler Higby. So it was Tyler like Higby's flipping a coin a lot later. Yeah. <laughs> it was like flipping a coin last year. Right. So um I, I think I think we're in agreement here. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash 
podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no long-term deal for Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs. They didn't sign the franchise tag. No long-term for Pollard either, but he did sign the tag, so he'll play. He has to report to camp because he signed. (laughs) Cowboys fans are happy. Yes. Since Saquon or Jacobs are not under contract, they won't be fined if they miss training camp. We might even see them miss some games. You know, a lot of the NFL running backs, including Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, who we know is already disgruntled with his contract, but he did restructure recently. You know, these guys have come out in support on Twitter. You know, and, and Najee Harris, he also wanted to belong to. So he came out and said something as well. Uh, right. But it's an unfortunate situation for these guys, right? The moral of the story for me is if your kids play football, don't let them play running back. These teams, <laughs> you know, give their running backs a lot of touches. But any team that revolves around their running back in this day and age means they're not a championship caliber team. We never say anymore that, man, that team can play good defense and run the ball. They're going to win the Super Bowl. We used to, but not anymore. You know, teams can get away with having replacement level running backs and win a Super Bowl if they have a good quarterback and hopefully some good receivers. So, you know, and if you pay a running back, you're saying that we are going to revolve our offense around this running back for the next how many years? And is that smart? I don't think so. Like I personally, if I was a GM, I'd rather use that money elsewhere, build a championship roster. Like the market, excuse me, the market just isn't there for these running backs to get paid in today's NFL. And it's kind of just unfortunate. Yeah, it it really is. I mean, I I don't know how to really go about this. You know, the running backs, like it's a very important position, definitely. But you look at the last super, the last few Super Bowl winners, just like none of them have really had like high pay star running running backs. backs. Yeah, Yeah, star running backs. So you have the Chiefs who did it twice in the past four years. Then you had the Bucks. you know, okay. They had Leonard Fournette, you know, playoff Lenny. Cool. Mm -hmm. Good for him. He he wasn't highly paid, you know. He was just there. He he was he played well. But then you also look at the Rams. Like the Rams went and won the Super Bowl on the heels on the back of Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. That was it. And a good defense. You know, you, you mentioned that. But there's no there's no running back here that's really doing anything. You know, it, it's it paints a bad picture for what running backs do. It shows that you can win without running backs. And my boy Zeke didn't do anybody any favors by getting paid right. and then having his production fall off a cliff. That didn't yeah. help at all either. Le'Veon and Bell. We saw, we, we saw yeah. it coming. Yeah, we saw it come 100%. I mean, you just look at that touch threshold. He's not Derrick Henry. <laughs> he hit that threshold, and, and that was it for him. But it, it is just unfortunate. Like, you know, you look at running backs. These are very good players. You know, it's just they're not highly valued because you can win without them. So I don't even know if you're a running back. Like, obviously, so for me, I look at it, it's like, man, people are, you know, pushing back against signing a $10 million franchise tag. You know, I'm like, I would take that any day of the week, but I'm just an average Joe sitting in front of a computer screen. You know, these guys, when there's a market and you can make more money, I completely understand, you know, fighting for more money and doing that. Cause it's true. Like Austin Eckler's making less than Alan Lazard, like that kind of thing. I think that's, is that right? Like that's That's just, that's just crazy. You know, that shouldn't be happening when you premier players who the NFL markets, you know, they use them to make themselves appealing to more people, you know, that they're not getting that compensation to other guys who aren't even, you know, hardly on the screen ever. It, there's just a, it, a disparity there. It's it's tough, 
you know, I'm, I don't have any idea how to resolve it, but it's just unfortunate, like you said. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And now moving back to fantasy, like should, should we be avoiding these guys in drafts? Now, I, I don't think so for the most part. Like if I'm trying to make a decision between Saquon and an elite wide receiver or Saquon and Kelsey, you know, it's going to be the wide receiver or Kelsey every time. And that's kind of been the case before all this. Now, if Saquon falls like the middle towards the end of the second round, like I'll draft him. I think yep. he's going to play. Um, he might choose to hold out week one. You know, I don't see him holding out the entire year. Same thing with Josh Jacobs. The reason why it's a little bit more worrisome with Jacobs is because he's a lot younger and he can afford it way more than Saquon. I think Jacobs is still at a good price, but I, I'm, I am thinking twice here. Like, is he really going to give up all those game checks? I think I'm leaning towards just grabbing him at drafts at a potentially even bigger discount because of the fear of that in-season holdout, right? Um, now, yeah. there is a chance that this goes all the way to week 10, right? That's the deadline that they have to sign their franchise tag. And if they don't sign by then, by then, they, they just can't play for the year. And I, I, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that if they don't play this year, even because of, this, because of the fact that this is a franchise tag, they can become free agents next year. And yeah, they don't have a deal I, in place. I think that's how it works. But If you are under contract and you don't play, then you don't accrue the year and you, and you have to basically play the same contract the following year. And I don't think that's the case. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You're right. Now, I was just taking a look at Matthew Berry's Fantasy Life, uh, Fantasy Life's free daily newsletter, and they included the four running backs to play on a franchise tag. And they got absolutely fed. Like two running backs in 2005, Edgerin James, 404 touches. Sean Alexander, 385 touches. Uh, Darren Sproles in 2009 only had 138, but Darren Sproles, that wasn't so crazy. But Le'Veon Bell in 2017 on his first franchise tag, he got 406 touches. Um, his second franchise tag was the one where he sat out, and that was like kind of the beginning of the end to his career. So what does this tell you? That if these guys do play, they're going to get fed. And Tony Pollard is going to play. I'm so ready. He's going to get fed. I'm so ready. He, I don't think he's going to get 400 touches, but you know, even 250 would be a huge step up from what he's Zach, had. You know? Zach, let me ask you this. Do you All think right. that he could get 300 carries? Tony Pollard. I think, I think I personally think he has it in him because he's very he has hardly any tread taken off the tires, so to speak. You know, he's taken on very light workloads his whole career. So I think he has it in him. We saw him do it. The efficiency might not be there like he's had, but I think he's a very good running back. The system that they're going it's, to be it's, in. It's a lot. It's a lot. Because like, if you look is, at Zeke, Zeke, Zeke only had 300 carries three times in his career. Yeah. So but, even that yeah. is just like, you know, it's a lot. So if, if you had to project Tony Pollard, like how many rushes he would have this year, w what are we looking at? I'm thinking it's going to settle somewhere between 260 and 275. I think that's what it's yeah. going to be. I don't think they're going to give him 300. That's top end. If they're really leaning on the run game, I don't think that's going to be the case. You know, I think they're going to be a balanced offense. And if that's the case, they want to run the ball more, they'll have somebody else to run the ball. They drafted Deuce Vaughn. I'd love to see him see the field just because he was so productive in college. But there's guys, Ronald Jones is still on the roster. We'll see if he sticks around. Malik Davis has been a favorite. He's been there a couple of years. I think if they're going to add more carries, it's not going to be going necessarily all on the Pollard's plate. They're going to put some carries in other running backs' hands. So for me, 
260, 275. That's the sweet spot. I would love to see him get 300 carries, but I don't think he's going to get that. Me either. Me either. I mean, I think that's way too much. I feel like, I feel like two, 230. 230, 240, plus like 70 catches. I'd love that. Like a, That would be cool. Yeah. Around 300 well, well, yeah, catches. when you bring up the debate of nice. rush nice. attempts versus receptions, and yeah, if he, that would be the ideal setup for fantasy. You know, obviously. Right. 20 carries right. versus a bunch more receptions is going to be a big difference. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 